If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Hi, Joanne. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast. I'm so excited that you are here. Can we start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. And first of all, Wendy, thank you for having me on. And I have to tell you, I am so impressed with what you've done. I'm so proud of you for not what you do for only caregivers, but for nurses. And my only wish is that you were, where were you 40 years ago when I started my career? So um, for that, I thank you. Um, But a little bit about myself. Um, I've actually been a nurse for over 45 years. Um, I believe once a nurse, always a nurse. The way that I got to where I am today was probably not a traditional uh, route that many of your listeners or many of you out there listening are aware of. I went to a diploma nursing school in uh, your great state of Connecticut. And um, at that point in time, for those of you that are not familiar, that was a three-year school. And uh, basically you did some college courses, but for the most part, you had clinical experience. I mean, I was my first week in nursing school and I was taking care of patients. God bless Bessie Goins, my first patient. Um, <laughs> but, but that's what we did. Um, and from there, my career really grew. Um, I, I knew that I needed a um, degree in nursing because obviously um, that was the way of the world in the 80s and things like that. And um, then I also went on and got my master's in nursing. My focus has always been in oncology. And I've actually worked in, um, in the hospital setting, in an outpatient setting, in a um, uh, really pretty much every kind of a nursing setting that you can imagine. And then in the late 90s, I um, went to the dark side, so to speak, as people uh, call it, and I uh, went to industry, which um, for those of you that may uh, consider that as a career path at some point, it's not so dark. It really, um, you know, nursing has such a diversity and um, that's kind of where I finished my career. And I say finished, um, I've been retired almost a year now and it was my goal to give back to my my three greatest joys, if you will, in life besides family and faith and all that was uh, my nursing career. 
Um, my husband was in the service and, you know, it really treated us well. So it was that as well as advocacy. So I've gotten involved in those three segments to give back, so to speak, because nursing has given me so much uh, moving forward. Yes. And I have to say, I'm so glad that you entered the dark side because that's where we met. Joanne is actually one of my mentors. I, I totally look up to her. She's been such a joy in my career as, um, you know, being in the pharmaceutical industry. So I want to kind of back up a little bit, Joanne. How did you transition or pivot from clinical practice to industry? What did that look like for you? Sure. Um, and and again, you know, you never, um, if you want to see God laugh, tell him you have a plan. Um, I always thought that I would be at the bedside or in the hospital, and, and I'm not going to lie, my greatest passion was taking care of patients. Um, and to this day, my greatest memories of nursing are really being privileged to take care of those patients. But with that being said, um, as I mentioned earlier, my husband was in the service, so luckily I had a nursing background that I could take wherever it was that we were stationed. And um, for one tour, um, he was stationed in Puerto Rico. I was not bilingual, so I was somewhat limited in, you know, obviously going to a hospital setting. Um, I had left a job that I loved at Georgetown University working in the Lombardo Cancer Center. And there we were in Puerto Rico where I really was like, okay, what am I going to do here? Um, so um, what I did was I just kind of explored what options were there for me at that time. Uh, my kids were adolescents, and at that time, they said, you know, mom, you're a great mom, but you need to work. You know, I think they had had enough of me. So um, I actually began to look at pharmaceuticals, because as many of you are aware, a lot of the manufacturing of pharmaceuticals takes place in Puerto Rico. So I literally went door to door. I cold called. Now, again, you probably can't do it today in uh, 2021, but I cold called a lot of these companies. And at that time, sharing, sharing plow was um, just getting into the oncology world. And that was where my strength and my um, background was. And um, they asked me if I would teach their sales force oncology, kind of like an oncology 101 course. Uh, so I did that. Their sales force consisted, consisted of two uh, people. Um, their primary um, language was Spanish. However, I taught them in English. And that was kind of my first four-way. But with that being said, when we came back to the States, I applied for only um, hospital experiences. And um, I was all set to take a, a clinical specialist job at the University of Pennsylvania. And at that time, my kids were getting ready to go into high school. And we wanted to send them to a certain school. The certain school did not provide busing. So I needed to make a career choice that was going to be able to allow me to take care of my family and then my career. So to be quite honest with you, I got into industry. It was not a desire. It was not really something I wanted to do. In fact, I probably went kicking and screaming, but I did it for my family. And, you know, again, in retrospect, I'm really glad that things shook out the way they did. But that was kind of how I got into it. It was more of a, of a life balance then it was a career balance, so to speak. Yes, and you mentioned cold call. Can you tell our audience what that means? Oh, okay. Uh, I literally would get in my car and drive to these places and ask to speak to 
uh, somebody who was either in their education or training department. Um, I would speak to the front desk and tell them what I wanted. And, you know, lo and behold, a couple of places bit, you know, and I, you know, and they let me in the door and I had that opportunity again, you know, that was back in um, the early nineties uh, or mid nineties. I, I doubt that we could do that today because the world has changed. But I think what it does tell you is that there's no limits to what you can do and where there's a will, there's a way. And you're the only one who's going to own your career, who's going to motivate yourself and who's going to look for those opportunities. So um, I recall one place I went to said, you know what, we're not hiring. We don't, you know, we're not in the space where your expertise are, but I have a buddy who works at, um, you know, the manufacturing down the street. So you never, ever know, you know, what door is going to open when one closes. That is definitely um, taking control of your own career development. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I know when we think about like pharmaceuticals uh, versus the bedside, people say, oh, you're not really making an impact on patient care. And I know that is totally incorrect because we are making a global impact, if not only, it's not only national, it's global. Can you speak a little bit about the impact and influence nurses have being in the pharmaceutical industry, how we kind of influence the bedside or clinical practice? Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that because, you know, it's very interesting. And I'll be honest with you, the reason I didn't want to go to industry was I didn't want to lose that patient contact. That's where my passion was. And now I'm going to go and I'm going to be with big pharma and, you know, I'm going to lose all that. In reality, Wendy, it took me kind of leaving my roots, so to speak, to really, one, um, really uh, grow and develop my, my own career path. You know, I learned a skill set that I did not, and to be honest with you, I don't know that people will even get today in the hospital setting because I learned a lot of business and budgeting and things like that. But more importantly, the thing that um, really, <laughs> sorry about that. The thing that really um, upsets, upsets, upset me was that it took me leaving the hospital setting and the roots for me to truly be appreciated. I would sit at a table with colleagues, new colleagues in the business world, and they would stop the meeting and they'd say, Joanne, you've been at the bedside. You're the voice of the patient. Tell us what it's like. Tell us what they feel. And all of a sudden, I felt so important. I was like, really? You want to hear what I have to say? And honestly, I had a 21-year career in industry. And every day, I will tell you, and I will tell you today, you're most, as a, if you're a nurse listening to this, your most valued asset is that you have clinical experience. You know what patients go through, and nobody else does. They really don't. So um, getting back to, to the root of your question was that um, when I first came to industry, I, my job was as a medical science liaison where we did a lot of education to physicians and to nurses as well. So I always had that link there. And I'll be honest with you, I had more credibility because my background was a nurse. I could go into, you know, Dr. Smith and say, oh, you know, how's your practice going today? Oh, you know, when I was at uh, Georgetown, you know, we saw somebody, all of a sudden there's a, um, there's a bond there. You know, once you've kind of walked in the shoes, there's that bond there. So I really have a lot more credibility than um, 
and, and I don't want to put down people that are pharmacists or have PhDs, but I, I had instant credibility with them. So that was a big asset. The other thing was going from an MSL role, um, I, it was a new role back in the, in the 90s and the team grew. So I had opportunities to um, develop myself and to be a director. And um, eventually I, I ran that group. But along the way, again, I always remembered that I was the voice of the patient. And um, another opportunity is that even though you're in a particular role, if you are the voice of the patient and, and the nurses, you have a lot of other people that are listening to you. And when I was in my career, I had a very unique opportunity to create a role for myself, to create a role that did not exist. Um, and that was a role of advocacy. And the way I got into that role was I was managing a very large team. And once you get into industry, things change, new people come in, companies get bought out. So you kind of sit on the sidelines and you, you observe a lot of things. And I worked for a company that had a product that needed a REMS. Now, I don't know if um, all of you, are, I was not aware of what a REMS was, but a REMS is a risk evaluation mitigation strategy program, which the FDA actually mandates for certain products if there's safety issues. Some of you may be very familiar with um, thalidomide or Procrit. These are drugs that had REMS programs put in place. There were certain safety measures that a physician or nurse or healthcare provider had to go through before they could prescribe these drugs for patients. And what I saw when we had to do that, we had to implement this from a very big, large pharma perspective. What we saw was that every time we went back to the FDA with what, what our plan was gonna be, what our training was gonna be, they would say to us, well, what do your patients think? What are your patients saying about this? And I'll be honest with you, and I think many of you would be shocked, this was a huge pharma company that people would think they know everything. We had to say, we don't know. We do, we've not reached out to any of the advocacy groups. And they looked at us with complete shock. What do you mean you didn't reach out to the advocacy groups? So, you know, I sat there and I observed this. And after a couple months, I went to my boss, went basically said, this is what I've observed. Here's a proposal for a job description for somebody to work with the advocacy groups and groups that are in our space, i.e. oncology at the time. And this is what I propose. And Wendy, the stars aligned, the world opened up. And you know what they said? You're right. We need this. We're going to give it a shot. And I have to tell you, people to this day say, oh, my God, how did you get that to happen in this company that's so conservative that doesn't do that? But you know what? It was a need that, you know, I saw that was recognized and brought forward. You know, I, I hope that all of you listen, just realize the worst anybody's ever going to say to you is no. That's the worst. And, and sometimes that's not the worst. Sometimes that's an even greater motivator. But, you know, the other thing is, and I, I think I kind of alluded to it when I talked about cold calling. You know, be brave, be bold, but be humble enough to know that, you know, you're going to get rejected at times. That's just life. But if you really believe in something, then you go for it. 
and you know that you're going to do what you think is best for yourself, your career, your family, and ultimately it's going to benefit patients. So you just give it the old college try, so to speak. And that's kind of where I, you know, how my career has gone because, you know, I didn't go to industry with a skill set that I left with. I, I mean, I, I really didn't. But that core skill set of clinical expertise, I use the whole time. I've never lost that. And I even use it today. I have to say, transitioning over from clinical to industry, it was very empowering being a nurse. And that just, you know, it, it demonstrates the, the need there. We're needed to really be the voice mm -hmm. for nurses and patients. So it's very empowering. And I also have to <laughs> agree with you that moving over to industry really helped me uncover what I call added values. Things that you are not able to tap into when you are a nurse in a hospital on a floor. Industry helped me just see things differently, uh, develop skills that I didn't know I even had. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it has been just a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. um, so go ahead. The, the other thing I was going to add, and again, I don't know all your particular settings, and I really hope that um, nursing education and um, the Ex the extended education, if you will, when you're out there practicing. I, I do hope that we've improved on that. But I will tell you, when I was in nursing, I didn't know how much medicines were. Uh, I didn't know how much chucks cost. I mean, we used to lie in the whole freaking bed with those things. You know, yeah, I didn't know how much they cost. I didn't know who was getting billed. You went to Central Supply and you pulled them. You know, at that point in time, Central Supply was on every unit and you just pulled it off the shelf. So, you know, just the awareness of um, the business aspect, what it costs. And the other thing, which to me is even more important, are the leadership qualities. I, I was a practicing nurse for 25 years and I worked at the most, some of the biggest comprehensive cancer centers in the country. I can honestly tell you that never once did somebody sit down and talk to me about goals and objectives. What were my career goals? Where would I be in five years? Because whoever that head nurse was, they never wanted me to leave. You know, they, that, that was not the career path that they wanted. So honestly, in industry, I learned how to write business plans. I learned how to write goals. Uh, I learned how to lead people, how to mentor people. Um, clearly, I'd like to say your success maybe is an example of a little bit of leadership. I mean, clearly you, you've taken that on yourself, but you know, it, 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 takes, um, it, it takes a team to build yourself. And that's the one piece that I really got in industry. You know, before I stepped into any sort of leadership position, I had to go to an indoctrination course. I went to leadership courses. I went to public speaking courses. Every year for my 21 year career in industry, I went to a public speaking course. I, I don't, you know, you're never, you always walked away with a new pearl, a new tip, um, something. So to me, that was very, very important. And that was a real benefit of moving into industry. Yes, no, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I want to get your opinion on this, Joanne. I know we're talking about transitioning from clinical to industry, but we all know that there's a nursing shortage out there that is only increasing because we're in the mm -hmm. middle of a pandemic. 
What are your thoughts on how we can try to close that gap? What can nurses in clinical practice do now, or even nurses in industry do now? Can we still have an impact there to help try to close that gap? Any thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah, I do have some thoughts on that. And I'll go back to what I alluded to before. I think our education in our nursing school programs, I I think we can do a little bit better job to talk about the diversity and the wealth of opportunities that are in nursing. Now, with that being said, does that help the shortage? I believe it does. I personally believe um, every nurse needs to have clinical experience. You know, even if it's just for a year, um, I'm a big proponent that, you know, that's going to open more doors for you. Even if you say, you know, that's really not my sweet spot. um, I think just to get a year experience under your belt like that is really good. And I do think that that helps the shortage as well. Um, And I think knowing the diversity and the career paths that are within the nursing profession, I think that's going to get more nurses involved. Uh, honestly, um, nurses, when I went to nursing school, there was one place for you to go and one place only, and it was the hospital. There was not nurse educator roles. There was not, um, you know, case manager roles. Um, you know, I, I, the list just goes on and on what you can do with a nursing career, and nursing background. And I do believe that that, you know, indirectly will help the nursing shortage. And I think the first place we need to start is our nurse educators. Um, And we need to get what I would say, young blood into the nursing education roles. Um, I really believe that you need to uh, nurture young nurses. I think it starts at the high school level. You know, the, um, you know, they always have the French club, the Spanish club. Some schools do have nursing or healthcare clubs which I think are really, really important. And I think as a nursing community, I think it's on us as a nurse to get involved with those. You know, what's wrong with volunteering and going to your school, to going and talking to those juniors and seniors that are looking for career paths? I think that's one way to to start and to help the shortage. Um, And again, it doesn't have to be an organized program. You can start that program, you can go. Um, and and get back to your community that way. So I do think that for me, the education piece and getting involved and really being aware of the the tentacles, so to speak, of nursing that you can have, because really it's it's endless what you can do with your nursing background. Um, One thing, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but even as I retired, I thought, well, what am I going to do? You know, what, you know, I want to get back to the nursing community. I've stayed active in some of the uh, nursing societies, um, applied to be a member of some of their teams. And, you know, they want that. They want seasoned people. They want, they, they want a diverse, they want a diversity on their teams. So they want that new graduate nurse. They want the one who maybe has different experience. And they also want, lack of a better term, some of the old nurses, or I'll say seasoned nurses, like myself that kind of been there, done that, because you know we can, we can learn from one another. Um, the other thing is um, I'm on a board of one of the advocacy groups and I was the only nurse on their board. They came after me because they knew I had a nursing background and they wanted that clinical expertise that could go to them and be the voice. So um, 
again, I think working within the community, letting people know what nurses do, what they're capable of doing, and how many things that you can do. And the other thing I think, I think we need to do a better job of um, talking to uh, male men as well as women. Uh, you know, I believe that diversity within our field is really, really important. And, um, you know, when I grew up, I could count on one hand the number of male nurses and they all worked either in the ER or the OR. That was it. That's kind of what they did. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that changes, but I do think that we need to do a better job of recruiting young people to come into nursing as well. And it should be a very, very diversified class of people um, that we bring in. Yes, no, that was a really good answer. And I do have one more question for you before we wrap up, because I think it's sure. important for a lot of our listeners. So you managed MSLs and a number of individuals in the industry um, setting. Now, we have nurse managers who I know listen to this podcast who are really having a tough time managing their team through crisis, which is this pandemic. Do you have any words of wisdom that you can provide from a nurse leader? position that can possibly help them manage their team during this time. Yeah. And, and I don't envy all of you out there because I know you're going through some really tough times and I sometimes question, Ooh, you know, how would I manage a group of, you know, if I was managing the COVID unit, so to speak. Um, but I, I will tell you this, I think as a manager, you have to make a connection with your people. Now, with that being said, you're not going to bond with everybody and you're, you know, we're, we're all different. But even the fact if you sit down and have one on one conversations with people, you have to recognize that because I may not be, you know, your um, soul sister, so to speak, or somebody who can really bond with you. But I know people who can, who maybe, you know, would be able to ha have similar interests to, to you or whatever. But I've always made it a point, I think it's really important to have one-on-ones with all your people to get to know them and not only get to know them from a professional standpoint. You have to kind of peel the, the onion a little bit. And I don't mean, you know, getting into the nitty gritty of what they like for breakfast or where do they go out partying and that kind of thing. But you do need to make a connection. And I think if you really show and take the time to talk to your people, and to observe, sometimes even, you know, as a nurse manager, um, you know, just to go on rounds with people randomly. And, you know, people get very, you know, I remember as a new nurse, if I knew if my head nurse was going to be, you know, coming on rounds with me, I was nervous. But, you know, if they just kind of pop in when I'm doing something, that, that's kind of a different thing. So I, I think you just have to be yourself, let the, your staff be themselves and work with them, see what their strengths are and kind of build on their strengths. We all have weaknesses and I learned a lesson very early on um, and I hope we have time for this, but I had somebody who was working for me and he was a nurse and he was a male nurse. So, you know, I was really like, okay, we're gonna get this guy and we're really gonna nurture him. And um, he was a great worker bee, and that's all he wanted to do. He was happy being in his role and doing what he wanted to do. And I put him in charge of some very big meetings that we had because I really wanted his leadership skills to come out. Wendy, that was not his forte. He, the, that, that was not his strength. But yet I wanted to instill what I thought 
his potential was on him. So I had really had to take a step back and, you know, he ended up leaving. And I really felt bad about that because I really feel because I didn't let him go in the direction that he wanted to. What I should have done is said, I see this potential in you. Have you thought about this? You know, I'd be happy to do maybe a short internship with you to see if this is something you're interested. But I threw him right into it. And that was a big lesson to me. So you really have to listen to your people, you know, see what their strengths are and try to build on that, but work with them along the way. Thank you so much. That's awesome advice. Awesome advice. So if someone's listening and they want to get in contact with you, Joanne, how can they get in contact with you? Oh, um, you know, I, and Wendy, I think you know this, I love mentoring. Um, my passion is still about nursing. So, you know, any kind of questions or even just where you can take your career. Um, one thing that I will say that I think I've done well in my 45 year plus career is I'm a good networker. So, and to me, that is, that, that, that's your, that's the golden goose. So um, I'd be more than happy to um, speak with anybody. Wendy, I can provide you with my, if they want to email me, um, you know, I don't know the best way to get that out to them, but I'd be more than happy to. And I would just say in the subject line, you know, just put Wendy or podcast, just so I know. So it highlights kind of where you came from. Not that I'm being burdened with emails in my ripe old age, but um, just so I can make a connection there, we can kind of go from there. Great. We'll put your information in the show notes. But before we get out of here, I would love to take you through a rapid fire. Is that okay? Oh, I think I'm ready. I'm holding on tight. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So wellness means? For, For me, it's happiness. Awesome. I know I'm stressed when? I go to the refrigerator to see what's in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My go-to stress management solution is? Um, Talk to my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) Who's also a nurse, so that that calms me. (laughs) One thing I learned about myself during the COVID-19 pandemic is? I'm very comfortable in my own skin. Yes. Yes. And one piece of advice I would give a new nurse is? Network, network, network. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joanne. This has been such a great discussion and I hope to have you back soon. Oh, thank you. I'd love to, Wendy. Thanks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Between episodes, you can follow the Nurse Wellness Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Before you go, I would love to share a free mindfulness ebook with you. Go to stressblueprint.com backslash 35 and download your free copy. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. 
Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.